0: All right, take your Bibles. Turn to Psalm 37. We just sang that we stand in awe of the one who saved us, that we all we have is his. And that's a big, strong, slap you upside the head kind of statement. That's the kind of thing that That I'm afraid very often we say and we sing and sometimes we even believe it, but we don't act on it like we should. We hold back. We get scared. We get worried. There are a lot of reasons why. Uh, Sometimes the circumstances just aren't working out the way we thought they should. Sometimes we don't have what we think we need. Sometimes we just we're scared of ridicule. We're scared of failure. Uh, A lot of times, though, we just say we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. So rather than mess up, rather than do something wrong, we don't do anything. And that's not always a bad thing. We need to wait on God. We don't need to get out ahead of God. We need to make sure that we are right where he wants us to be at the right time. And then when he says move, we move. When he says go, we go. Unfortunately, for all of us, that's easier said than done. And so that's why for these five weeks or so, we've been looking at knowing what God wants. That's what we've been focusing on. That's what we're going to continue to focus on for the next two or three weeks. And we're going to look at some, some people in particular who who lived it out, who knew what God wanted. But one of the biggest questions I think we that, that pastors get, ministers get, theologians get, and and I still pray, is is how do we know? Or maybe we ask, does God have a specific will for us? Does he have a specific will for our lives? Well, the short answer is Yes. Now, depending on who you are, and if you know, you're young, I apologize. Uh, if you're not married, I apologize. Depending on who you are, uh, who you ask, some people say, no, God doesn't have a specific spouse for you. Others say, yes, there's one person that's for you. And Okay, I'm, I'm not preaching on marriage this morning, so I'm not going to get into that. But I will say that God has a specific will for your life. Is there a person? I don't know. Is there a set of principles that you need to live by and you need to understand before you move into that relationship? Yes. And then things will begin to open up and then the specific person is between you and God. But God does have a specific will for our lives. He has something for you to do. You are on this earth for a purpose. As Christians, your main purpose is to spread the gospel. And then you need to figure out how that is. So if, if the answer is yes, God does have a specific will for our lives, then the next question is often, uh, does God want us to know this will? That should be obvious. Yes, if he has a will for you, he wants you to know what that will is. Again, depending on who you talk to, some theologians would say he has a will he wants you to know, and he has a hidden will that you can't know. And yeah, Okay, sure, whatever. I, I firmly believe, and the Bible backs up, that God has something for you to do. He has a will for your life, and he wants you to know what that will is. Because, I mean, frankly, if you don't know what it is, how can you do it? Then comes the question often, okay, God has a specific will for me He does want me to know what it is. Is this will hard to understand or no? and the correct answer is no or yes Because let's be honest, um, I haven't gotten an email from God lately saying all right now tomorrow This is what you're doing, and I don't think y'all have either. Uh, We did get a letter for telling us what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. But for our specific lives, is it hard to understand? Yes, it is. Should it be? Should we, would be the next question, have to search for it? Because of sin, yes. I'm afraid so. I am not attuned to God 24 hours a day. I, I would consider myself a champion of the faith if I were attuned to God one hour a day, most days. Um, but I'm afraid that we, we are very lax in our, uh, our tuning in to what God would have us do. We write it off, as, as I've said before, as, you know, that's me thinking, that's what I ate for lunch, that's something, but it's, it's not... It's not God, it's not really, he doesn't, you know, that's, that's not something I'm supposed to do right now. I was just thinking weird things. Should we have to search for it? I'm afraid so. Can, can we be wrong? Can we think we're doing something according to God's will? And, and God says, not because we misunderstood God, but just because we weren't sure yet. And he says, nope, I need you to redirect. Or maybe we thought, maybe he, he told us to do something and he says, we need you to redirect think of Paul with the Macedonian call. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But I'll give you a little preview. Paul was going to one area. He was doing what he was called to do. He was a missionary to the Gentiles. He was going to an area of Turkey where they needed the gospel. He was doing the very thing he was called to do. And in a vision, Paul was called by God through a Macedonian man, come to us. And Paul had to redirect. Was he wrong in what he was doing? Was he wrong? No. He was doing what he should have been doing. Had he gone on and done it, knowing that God had called him to something else? Yes, he would have been wrong. He would have been doing godly things, but outside the will of God. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But that's something to think about, to, to ruminate on. And then maybe the last question that comes up is, do we have to wait on God's leading? Well, duh. Uh, if you don't wait, how do you know what you're supposed to be doing? And we sometimes get ahead of God. And, and maybe that's where Paul was. Maybe, I know I'm supposed to be taking the gospel. And so he went. But he didn't wait on God to tell him where. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe that's exactly the way God wanted it to work out. We don't know, and that's okay. But we can be doing what we think we're supposed to be doing and be ahead of God and not be on track to fulfill the will he has called us to or intends to call us to. So yes, we have to wait on God's leading. So you've got all these questions and I've given you the answers. Does he have a specific will? Yes. Does he want us to know this will? Yes. Is it hard to understand? Yes, sometimes. Should we have to search for it? We do have to search for it a lot of the time. So, should we? It not is a good way to phrase that question. Will we have to search for it? Very likely. And do we have to wait on God's leading? Absolutely. But I'm afraid just answering those questions doesn't give us very much encouragement, does it? That's not much of a road map. That, that answers some questions, but that could leave us more confused than, than with answers. So we're going to try to see some answers. We're going to look at Psalm 37, verses 3 through 4. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. This psalm is, was written by, we think, David. And, and the main focus of the psalm is actually Israel... Looking or or not Israel specifically the righteous looking at the unrighteous and seeing the unrighteous prosper And complaining about it basically. Why are the evil ones rich? Why does Howard Stern make billions and we make hundreds? You know, why does it work out this way? Why do the evil prosper and and we don't? Why does Planned Parenthood get millions of dollars and 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 good Christian organizations that don't kill babies don't get it nearly as much. What? Why? Why does evil prosper? And and through the psalm, we are told that we need to wait. Just hold on. It appears that evil, that evil prospers now, but God's got it under control. And in amongst that, we have these two verses that when you think of the context, they make sense. But this is one of those places in the Bible that when you take, it, take those verses out, and, and let me say that this is not a, a good strategy to use in your Bible study all the time, to go find a verse, take it out of its context, and then make something out of it totally away from what the Bible says around it. But this one works because... What it says around it speaks to our lives. And in that, that verse, that, in that context, God's teaching us something about His will and about doing what He wants, whether we are in the midst of an evil world that seems to prosper or whether we are in the midst of trying to discern God's will for the next step of a church or a Christian in their lives. And to, to make sure, I'll, I'll just let you know that you know in case... Y'all didn't know. I'm not the smartest guy in the room all the time. Um, uh, if you didn't know that, Troy would have told you. Uh, he would have been happy to let you know uh, that I'm not. So I, I emailed a, a, a professor at Southwestern. I just said, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going with this. and Because and, uh, I just want to make sure. You know, you, you, we all do it. You, you, you talk to the experts. I talk to an expert. And he said, yeah, that's exactly how I preach it. So I'm not going anything outside of, outside of the realm of possibility here. But I tell you that so you know that as you read the Bible, this is apart from the sermon here for a second, as you read, don't rip it out of context. The verse is there in the midst of something else for a reason. And we have to be careful because we can take, I mean, look at the number of denominations there are today. Now, I feel like that the Southern Baptists are closest to right, not because, not because I'm a Southern Baptist, but because I've studied what they believe and I have come to agree. Now I've been a Southern Baptist all my life, but, I've studied it and I've looked at other denominations and I see differences and it's a difference of interpretation and a lot of times that difference of interpretation and you hear atheists say well the Bible's no good you got thousand different interpretations well what we've done is we've taken a verse out of context and we've made it work for what we want to believe and we don't want to do that and we're not doing that here so I'm setting your mind at ease to know that we haven't done that in this case but we see four steps here We see four steps in how to know God's will in our lives. This is not going to tell you what to do, okay? This isn't a sermon that if you are struggling with God's telling me to uh, be a missionary, these verses are not going to say, go ye therefore and be a missionary. You got that in Matthew 28. I mean, your calling's there. So if you're feeling called to be a missionary, you are. Uh, just let's, I can go ahead and wrap that up for you right now. But if you're struggling with it, this isn't going to tell you specifics. These are four steps. This is a principle to knowing what God wants. Step number one, when my remote works, is to trust. There we go. Trust in the Lord, dwell in the land, and live securely. This is an imperative. God is telling us Through David, trust in the Lord. You, that understood you, that you learned about in grammar at some point in elementary school. It's not there, but we understand it's there. You trust in the Lord. You dwell in the land and live securely. Now that's the the two ends of verse 4. It's interesting though that 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 imperative of dwell in the land is, Hebrews is funny. It's actually a dependent phrase. It depends, you dwell in the land when you trust in the Lord. You dwell in the land and live securely when you trust in the Lord. That second imperative is dependent on you following the first imperative. But those two go together. Trust in the Lord, dwell in the land, and live securely. Trust in the Lord for what? Well, first of all, we trust in the Lord for our salvation. That's the first thing we trust for. We trust in the Lord that he is able and he is willing to save us. That's number one. We trust in the Lord for all things, for everything. We trust in the Lord for his providence. We trust in the Lord for his control over our lives and over everything that's going on. We trust in the Lord that when something happens, he is not surprised by it. When something goes on, he is not taken aback and going, oh man, I wish I'd known that, then we'd have gone this way instead of that way. It doesn't work like that with God. We trust in the Lord that God is God. And we trust him for our salvation. We trust him for promises kept. For the second, for for, for the fact that when he says, dwell in the land, we can dwell in the land. Remember, this was written to Israel. This was written, oh, oh, 600 years or so after the conquest of the Promised Land, where they did finally dwell in the land. But because they disobeyed way back then, 600 years before, because they didn't kill all the people like they were supposed to, they didn't destroy all the cities like they were supposed to, because they didn't defeat the kings like they were supposed to, and kind of capitulated and said, all right, we won't kill you, just be nice. Israel struggles to this day in the promised land so when david is saying dwell in the land it's still a promise even in around 1000 bc when this was written that they hadn't seen fulfilled in their lives completely david was always fighting the philistines because they didn't kick them out the first time they moved in like they were supposed to so he's saying trust in the lord for your salvation he's going to protect you Trust him for his promises. He said you were going to dwell in the land, and you will. See, the promised land will one day be rewarded to Israel. They will get it, but not in the way that we think. When Jesus comes back and he rules on the throne, then the promised land will be for all Christians. We will all dwell in the promised land of, of heaven and the new heaven and the new earth at some point. It will happen. But David's saying, trust God for his promises when he said, uh, dwell in the land. Whatever promises. I don't know what promise God has made to you. There are hundreds of promises in the Bible that he's made to us. We can trust in God's promises. If he says that your salvation is secure, then trust that your salvation is secure. If he says that he will not allow any temptation to come upon you, but that he does not provide a way out, then you can trust that there's no temptation that's going to come at you that you won't be able to get out of if you so choose. That's a promise. If he promises that nothing will snatch you from his hand, nothing will snatch you. If he promises that the wiles of the devil will never come against you, will never defeat you, then it will never happen. If he promises that you will suffer persecution just like Jesus did, then you will suffer persecution. See, those are all promises that we can count on. Those are all promises that will be kept by God. We can trust in that. Dwell in the land. And then we can trust in ongoing activity. Live securely, it says. Trust in the Lord, dwell in the land, and live securely. I've promised you, he says, the land. And you're going to get it. But now, even in the midst of the fact that you're fighting the Philistines constantly, and in years from now, you're going to fight Assyria, and you're going to fight the Babylonians and lose, and you're going to fight the Persians and lose. Trust in me. Trust that I am taking care of you on an ongoing basis. Live securely. God, how are we supposed to live securely when there's a battle raging around us and we're losing? Live securely. Trust for my ongoing presence. God, how are we supposed to live securely when we are, as the Israelites were, taken into captivity? You know, chances are, I'm, I'm hoping, that we as American citizens will never live at a time where we're hauled off to another country because we've been defeated by that country. But spiritually, I think we are fairly regularly hauled off like that. We get defeated, things don't go the way we plan, we are looking for God to do something, and He does not do it the way we wanted to, dead gummit. And we get carried off spiritually into captivity. And we live there for a while. And we pout. And we mm, 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 grind our teeth and whine and mm, God doesn't know what He he's mean and I don't you know I'm like being a Christian right now. Mm, mm, mm. And we are captive to that. And the thing is <laughs> we have chosen to be captive to that. We have been led off by Satan, listened to him, and allowed him to hold us saying, does he really know what's best for you? Did, did God really say that? When our answer should have been, yeah, he really did. Now shut up, and leave me alone. We say instead, you know, you're right. I don't think you did. And we go over here and we're held captive. God says, trust him for the ongoing activity. Live securely in the land. When the battle rages, when the enemies are at the gates, know that I'm there and you can live securely. Step number one is to trust. Step number two is to obey. The middle part of verse three, do what is good. We leave this out a lot. We like grace, don't we? We like forgiveness, don't we? I can be forgiven if I do what I'm not supposed to. And if I've grown up in church, i got a pretty good idea of the do's and don'ts, right? If I don't do what I'm supposed to, I can be forgiven. God is a gracious God. And you know what? You are exactly right. You can be forgiven. And you are forgiven. That's the truth of the matter. You are. But God does not call us to abuse His grace. Treat it like the girlfriend or boyfriend that we see, only when we want a little attention, but the rest of the time we never call. That's not what God's grace is all about. See, he says to obey, to do what is good. This is a constant redirecting of ourselves. I don't know about you, but I don't always do what's right. I'm gonna say that the majority of the time, though I wish I could say differently, I probably do what is wrong. If I really examine my life, and if I was real honest with myself, you know, the way God is, I would be, have to say that I don't do what is exactly right most of the time. I'll be nice to say only 51% of the time, just to make myself feel good, but it's probably more. So I have to constantly redirect Myself, Micah, verse six through uh, chapter six, verse eight, says, "He has told you, men, what is good and what is the uh, what it is the Lord requires of you. Only act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God." I love that it says, "Only." That's all. Only act justly, love faithfulness, and walk humbly with your God. That's all you have to do. That's it. <laughs> Nothing else. Thanks. Um, probably about ten minutes ago, I broke all three. All right, I, I understand that. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh oh. James one twenty seven. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Uh, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? We got a bunch of them, right? We got 10. Actually, if you want to get real honest, we got 640 something different laws in the Old Testament. I'm going to trip you up here and say, What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? <laughs> He's going to mess up this one. And Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Oh, but hold on. The second one's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you realize if we did both of those things all the time, we would never sin? That's what's amazing. That's why it's just, it's funny. I mean, I, I know Jesus did not have pride like I would have. But I would have been gloating... Like, oh, you think you got me? (laughs) You're going down. Because here they are. Love God, and you got the commandments, right? You got the ten of them. Because if you love God, didn't Jesus say something about this? Let me be sure. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Okay. So if we love God, we'll keep his commandments. We'll follow all the law. And just in case you miss it, you know, just in case there was something that maybe you didn't know about that law, love your neighbor as yourself. So that takes care completely of my relationship with God. It's perfect. And then my relationship with everybody else. It's perfect. You see how I would suddenly live a sinless life if I loved God and loved everybody else? Tell me again that God doesn't require, a certain, uh, require certain things of us? Tell me again that the Christian life is not about doing things. You know, I hear, oh, you know, the, people don't like the Baptists because they're known more for what you shouldn't do than what you should do. And all that, you know, they all, all they ever preach on is sin. Well, we sin. I mean, yeah, we sin. And we're not supposed to. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's forgiveness. But if you love me, you don't believe me? It was right there. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's clear, y'all. So, we obey. We do what is good. Now, in all of that, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. I am not talking about, and don't go home and tell people that I did, I'm not talking about legalism. What is legalism, Michael? What well, it says it right up there? My actions earn or keep my salvation. I'm not talking about that. This is a tightrope. Fishing line ain't got nothing on this tightrope, okay? That's big. I would love to walk a fishing line type, rope, type tight rope rather than try to walk this one because it is a hair splitting. But understand that's the way God works. You want to you be confused for a little while? Try to figure out God controls everything, but I have free will. Okay, those two things are both in the Bible, yet they seem to be button heads constantly. But God's God and we're not. So it doesn't bother him. This is another one of those things. We preach salvation is free. Grace is free. Forgiveness is free. You do not earn your salvation. You do not keep your salvation. Salvation is all in God's hands. You are told to do one thing to be saved. Believe. John, the gospel of John is ed up with it believe, believe, believe. That's what you have to do. And then Jesus turns around and says, if you love me, which is incidentally in John, you will keep my commandments. But Jesus, you said, all I have to do to be saved is believe and you'll forgive all of my sins, right? Absolutely. But if, but if I sin, I don't lose my salvation, right? No. And Even if I sin on purpose, so I can send all I want to, right? Nope. At this point, Jesus would say, go read Romans. Read Romans, think about it for a little while. The tightrope here, though, that I'm talking about is we, we fall to one side or the other. We, we fall to either the cheap, easy grace that says I can do whatever I want to and God's going to forgive me. Or we fall to the other side that says, in order to please God, I've got to do certain things. If I don't, God doesn't love me, and maybe I've lost my salvation, or I was never saved at all, or I've got to be good enough to earn my salvation. And it is very easy to slide to one side or the other. That's why that tightrope is spiderweb small. And to give you an answer, a perfect answer that says, I've got it, if I had it, I'd be rich because I'd have written a book. I don't. What I do understand is that we are saved by grace through faith alone, not anything of ourselves, not of works, because we'd boast. It is all of God. But we are also told, if we truly love Jesus, we'll keep his commandments. So we're talking about a, a, a constant conformity to Christ have the mind of Christ the Bible tells us what is the mind of Christ well the mind of Christ is to do the will of the Father to obey every command to be perfect that's what we're called to so we obey oh and you're gonna fail all right? so am I that's where grace comes in because we have to try we have to try So step two, or step one, we trust. Step two, we obey. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? Trust and obey. Step three, we enjoy. There we go. There we go. Verse four, take delight in the Lord. Verse four says. Interesting, in the Hebrew, this word take delight... Hebrew you take a word and you add a whole bunch of prefixes and you add a whole bunch of different suffixes and it kind of changes the meaning of the word but you take those things off and you get the root of that word and you understand something about what they were getting at the root of the word in Hebrew take delight actually is from pampered or spoiled and I don't mean spoiled like you know bad milk I'm talking about spoiled like bad kids Uh, you know not bad kids I'm sorry uh, yeah, like we spoil our kids like you know my mother-in-law coming in and, and and buying us all kind of stuff this weekend uh, that was that was spoiling us in a good way very good way um, but that's the root of the word that you would pamper somebody that you would spoil somebody and now the direction take delight we are pampering we are spoiling God which yeah Really? How do we do it? The Bible often talks about how we bless God. When we pray, when we come to the Father as our Abba, our Daddy God, we are pampering, we're spoiling Him. We are taking delight in God. And that's what we're told to do. Take delight in the Lord. Lo and behold, we are actually supposed to enjoy obedience. We're supposed to like obedience. What? I don't like to be obedient. I like to be disobedient. Uh, You may turn, if you would like, to Psalm 119. Uh, Oh, I went too far. I mean, it's not there. Okay. Okay. Turn to Psalm 119. Yeah, I didn't, I probably didn't put it on there because it's the longest chapter in the Bible. But I just want to point out a couple of verses to you in 119. We're going to start at verse 1. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the what? The law of the Lord. In case you don't know this about Psalm 119, every group of eight verses is based on the letter of the, uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, all that stuff. And you can see that your Bible may have the, the Hebrew letter up above it. Every verse starts with that letter. But not only that, not, not only is that creative enough, every verse also has something to do, every sentence has something to do with God's law, command, uh, statutes, um, judgments, uh, using some word that has to do with God telling us what to do. And verse 1 says, How happy are those whose way is blamelessly, who live according to the law of God. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they follow his ways. You've commanded that their precept, your precepts will be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I praise you with a sincere heart when I learn your righteous judgment. Do we praise God when we learn his judgment? We're supposed to. I will keep your statutes, never abandon me. Flip over to verse 81. I long for your salvation. I, ho- I put my hope in your word. Again, his law, his, te- his uh, judgments. Verse 97, how I love your teaching. It is my meditation all day long. Verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your instruction. Verse 129 and 130, your decrees are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The revelation of your words brings light and gives understanding to the inexperienced. Uh, verse 174 I long for your salvation, Lord, and your instruction is my delight. We see that the psalmist actually liked obedience. That is a huge heart change for us, let me tell you. We are rebellious by nature. That is our sin nature, to rebel against God. And yet, biblically, we're told that we should love the law of God. We should love His commands. We should love to step, to obey. Because, well, and He said it. When I obey, I'm not ashamed around you. Don't we know that feeling? Don't we know the fear of, I don't know, maybe it was a business decision. A little eraser here, a little extra mark there. You know, not much, but it resulted in a pretty big thing for the company or for me personally. I benefited, but when I'm around the boss, I'm worried that I got caught. Does he know? Do they know? Kids, same thing. We do something. Will my parents find out? Will my spouse find out? We're ashamed because we know what the law is. We follow the law. We don't have to be ashamed. God does not love you less. Your salvation is not wearing off. You are not on the edge of the fiery pits of hell because you sinned I mean you are, unless you trust Christ. But you are in a position where your relationship with God is broken, is tainted. You've got issue, you and God have issues, and God ain't the issue. You can't hear God? Maybe you quit listening. Maybe you built a wall of sin between you and him because you did not obey, you did not enjoy, you did not take delight in God, you did not pamper him, bless him by your presence. Trust, obey, enjoy, and then step four, we act. Psalm 37, four. He will give you your heart's desires. That is one of the most misused verses in the whole wide world. That and judge not. Oh, we love that God will give us the desires of our heart because I desire a Ferrari. So I go look in the garage, right? That's how we want to use it. That's how a lot of people use it. If you don't believe me, watch TBN for about three hours some Sunday afternoon and listen to those preachers tell you that you can have the desires of your heart. Whatever you want... I got a jet, Jesse Duplantis will say. Yeah, I used his name. I got a jet because I love God and you can have a jet too. He's Cajun. He's right down the road from Baton Rouge. Um, no, you can't have a jet. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you now. Why not? Well, I'm going to assume for the moment that God does not desire for me to have a jet. Because what this verse is saying is that our desires will be His desires. See, if we trust, if we obey, and we enjoy our time with God, we take delight in God, we won't want a Ferrari. I mean, we kind of want one. Yeah, but what we will want more is God's will in our lives. What we will want more is to be in the exact middle of what God is doing in Nixon, in our country, and in our world. That's what we'll want. We will want his desires. And then, and then this is the phenomenal part to me, we're free to act on those desires. See, that's, that. oh, that's tough. Because we can get a little messed up sometimes. You know, we can say, well, God wants me to be happy. I've heard it. You know, I've, I've heard it. Primarily, you hear that. In, in the midst of a divorce, well, I just know God wanted me to be happy and I wasn't happy with my ex. Where does God want you to be happy? I'll ask that first. Where, where was that one? But number two, are you sure? And I'm not just talking about divorce. I'm, I'm not getting off on that. I'm talking about anything. That was just an example. So, you know, if anybody are getting, your, getting riled up, don't. I'll preach on that later. Are you sure that your desire was God's desire? Did you get the other three things right? Did you trust? Did you obey? Did you enjoy? Because we are real quick to say, God wanted me to have it. God wanted me to have, okay, it wasn't a Ferrari, but the new car. I'm bad about it. Look, we, we have struggled in the past Financially, we all have. And we all get to that point where finally things ease out a little bit, right? You know, we, we got a little extra coming in. We've, we're, we're paying the creditors enough that they at least quit calling. Um, and then we get a little extra money, so what do we do? We blow it. And wh- what do we say? Well, we've lived, you know, it's been bad for long enough. We deserve that. I sound like Dave Ramsey now, don't I? Sorry. <laughs> Um, but actually, I think I sound more like the Bible, because we don't deserve anything. Was God's desire was that God's desire for us to spend all that? Maybe, possibly, but did we check first? And again, that's just one example. God certainly doesn't want me to go to Africa on the mission field. That's not God's desire for my, uh, that's my, not the desire of my heart. Right? I don't want to get killed. Y'all, these, this last week, and it was on the slides earlier um, for the library, I read Through Gates of Splendor. Uh, I had never read it. I'd seen the movie. Um, I knew a lot about the story, but I'd never read Elizabeth, Eli- Elizabeth Elliot's book. And uh, I encourage you to read that book. And that's what the slide said: was read that book. As we move forward as a, as a church, you need to read that book. The story of and sorry, a lot of y'all are old enough to remember this. I'm not. Um, Elizabeth Elliot and four other Elizabeth Elliot and her husband Jim and four other missionary couples went to Ecuador as missionaries. Uh, they served in this jungle area to a couple of groups. Uh, and, and of, of, of Indians in the area and they felt really called to the group. Uh, they were called the Alka's at the time. They're called the Wildoni now. Uh, Alka meant ne- naked savage in the, le- the language around them because that's what they were. They were naked and they were savages. Um, but they worked and worked and worked to gain an entrance to this this tribe and thought they had worked it out and it worked out great. They, they met them in an area, the five men did, um, talked to them, fed them stuff. I mean, just great time. Four days later, the tri- five of the guys, five of the tribesmen came back and killed all five of the missionaries um, with lances, spears. Uh, brutal murder. The guys had guns. There was one shot, but they told them going in, we will not kill them. We will die first, but we will not shoot them. You've got to read the story. Why am I telling you about it now? Well, there's another book on the screen as well called And the Word Came With Power. And it's not in the library yet. It should be there this week. It also is about a missionary endeavor and the work that goes on. Our desires, Elizabeth Elliot's desire, desire, if you asked her, was not to see her husband, Jim, killed. And if you don't know Jim Elliot, uh, he's the, the phrase that we hear, and I'm going to mangle it because I don't remember it exactly. Uh, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Did I do it right? <laughs> who, who gives what he cannot keep oh, yeah, 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 right. to gain what he cannot lose. That's, that's who came up with that phrase. He wrote it years before he went. God's going to call you to do some things that, that you're going to say is not your desire. To lose a spouse in that way was never her desire. But I read leading up to it how she and the other wives said we know they may die. She helped him. I mean I teared up reading when she talked about helping him pack and knowing this was probably the last time she would ever help him pack to go out and meet this tribe. The, the Nate Saint, the, the pilot of the airplane that flew over the jungles and landed on a sandbar, basically, in the river. His wife, watching that plane taxi off the runway and thinking, this is very likely the last time I will ever see that plane, that little plane, taxi off the runway and take off. It was not there desire to lose their husbands. But you know what was their desire? To see people who would die and go to hell, not go to hell when they died. See, that was why the guys would not shoot. They said, we know where we're going. If they kill us, we go to heaven. If we kill them, they go to hell. We will not shoot. We'll die before they will. Their desire was not to die. Their desire was to do the will of God. Whatever that encompassed. And you know why that was the de- their desire? They trusted, they obeyed, they enjoyed, and then they acted. It's time for us to act. It's time for us to do. It's time for us to throw away the excuses. Because we, ha- we know what God wants us to do. Maybe we don't know how yet. I'll grant you that. But the Bible is clear on what we are supposed to do. Let's do it. And quit making the excuses. Because we have none. Men were willing to go knowing they would be killed. Knowing they would very likely be killed wives were willing to send them off knowing I may never see this again. The end of that story is that Elizabeth Elliot in particular continued. She, got, she stayed in the jungle. All the wives did for a while. Stayed right there in Ecuador. She had the opportunity to some, some Alka ladies from the tribe came out because they were scared for whatever reason. Elizabeth Elliot was able to get into the community she witnessed to the people who killed her husband. She loved the people who killed her husband. The people who killed her husband came to know Christ. The entire tribe. Her little boy, I'm sorry, her little girl, grew up playing with the children of the people, of the men who killed her daddy. Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint, later on became a pilot uh, and, and went to the mission field. His son, so we're talking about the grandson of one of the guys that was killed, called the guy that killed his grandfather, grandfather. Because he came to, not completely, but at least in some ways, fill that role of a grandfather. Tough? Oh, heck yeah. But the desires of their heart, because they acted, because they obeyed. So, we delight, and we know. Well, So we fully trust God. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's fine. We fully trust God And we obey what he says. And you find true joy in his calling. And your actions will automatically. You see that's automatically. If you're living in God's will. Everything you do is God's will. See how that works? I'm doing everything God tells me to do. Therefore everything I do is what God tells me to. It's kind of a truism. But it's the way it works. And your desires will be his desires. I lied, though. The first step is not to trust. It is, actually. Because the first step is is to trust for salvation. Yeah, you can trust his promises, but until you trust that first promise, the rest of them aren't going to work. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he died on the cross, rose from the grave, to give you a hope. To give you eternal life, to forgive your sins, and then confess through your actions and through your words that Jesus Christ is Lord—that's salvation. That's the first step. You want to know God's will? You got to know His Son. You got to know that first. I've seen a bumper sticker: "Can't find Jesus? Look for His mother." No, look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. Because if you seek him, you'll find him. He's there. He's waiting. He's not hard to find. God's will, all the things of where in the world are we supposed to go? God, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be a missionary? All this stuff. Okay, that might be hard to figure out. It is not hard to figure out whether or not Jesus wants your soul. Because he does. Jesus wants to save your soul. Let's get that right. And the rest of it will work out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your love for us, God. Thank you that you have provided a way. And we pray that today that you would give us the opportunity that you would you would work on the lives and the hearts here this morning. <clears throat> that souls would be changed and that we would be obedient. Father, use us. Change us. Let us live in your will so that we're there to obey and act as we should, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is your decision today? What are you going to do? What is God calling you to? Maybe you need to accept Christ. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to join our church. Maybe you are struggling. Maybe you know that what we're doing as a church, the vision that we have of going forward around the world, that's something that you need to be involved in. And you're saying, God, there is no way. And God is saying, there's always a way if I'm telling you. What are you struggling with? Today is your day to make the decision. Share it with us on a connection card. We're going to have a deacon up here this morning. Come forward. Share it with him. Wait until after the service. Talk to me. Whatever you need to do, let's get it right with God. Whether it's the first step or the fourth step or the fifth step. What do you need to do?